Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No, I, I have to tell you one little thing. Uh, yeah, please. We were in Madison, Wisconsin. I was on for uh, Dawn, and I Saturday matinee happens. I leave the theater, and I'm going out, and there's people always outside at the stage door uh, wanting autographs and things like that. And I see this kid, and I just kind of walk by him or whatever, but I could tell that he was like, he wanted to talk kind of thing. And I kind of look back at him, a pimply kid, uh, 15 years old, he says, can I talk to you for a second? I said, sure. And he was so nervous. Uh, and he said, I, I, I don't know how to ask this without just asking it. And I said, okay, go ahead. And he says, mm. would you hate me if I told you that I was gay? Uh, and I said, no, why would I, why would like, I hate baby, you? Baby, who hurt you? And he says, I, and he told me, he told his parents he was going to soccer practice. He came to see the show. Oh, wow. And he wanted to know how he could come out. He didn't know how to come out. Mm. So I sat with him. I looked up on my phone, Gay and Lesbian Center of Madison, Wisconsin. There is none. Right. But there's a Gay and Lesbian um, uh, Student Union at the university, which is right down State Street. I took him. I took him to the student center, and I said, look, he's 15 years old. He needs help. He needs to talk to somebody. Wow. Uh, there's no game that's being centered here, but you're it as far as I'm concerned. So please, is there anything that we can sit absolutely will take good care of him? Uh, they, I called later, much later, about a month later, and asked about his progress. And she said that he's coming in for, for um, therapy. He like comes counseling. in and talks to a counselor. And then a, on a second uh, talk or call, uh, he had come out to his um, parents, and it was not as bad as he had, 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 he had envisioned. Sure. But it was all due to the fact that he came to see the show. He said I reminded him of his father. Wow. I mean, uh, daddy issues. I don't know what else <laughs> to say about that. But, I mean, what's so lovely is that I'm so glad that he was brave enough to approach me and ask me for help. Um, and, again, it was the show. Welcome, everybody, to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. Today, we are talking about the musical Kinky Boots. Why? Because it is Pride Month. Happy Pride, everybody. And this was a listener request from Audrey. Lovely Audrey. Thank you so much for writing us and for requesting the show because we have the perfect guest. It's true. I'm just going to introduce them. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> what, what is the line? Ladies and gentlemen and those who have yet to make up their minds, which I think is maybe a little dated now. We can talk about that. It's Sam Zeller. And hold for applause. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, I'm so grateful you're here. You, Jeff, thank you so much. How, how nice to see you and, and, and talk to you. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a because while. Because I honestly don't think I've seen you since before you left on tour for wow. Kinky Boots. And you, you wore a lot of Kinky Boots over that time. I certainly did. Can you talk to me did. about your, your history with the show? Oh, my God. Well, uh, just to fast forward all the way until today, I have a brand new me thanks to <laughs> Kinky Boots. Really? Talk to me yes. about that. I, I had a total knee replacement uh, two months ago. <laughs> My gosh. Yeah, I had to have it done. I mean, when you think about it, uh, uh, a six foot two tall man who weighs roughly about 275. You're a big dude. Six inch stiletto thigh high boots on a daily basis is not anything <laughs> I would recommend for anybody. 
But I mean, I tell you, because we were the national tour, we did all the press, we did all these different, you know, fundraiser things. And so I, I chose to be in the boots every single time because it was for the cause. And I also got to wear the, the, the best outfit in the, in the finale. I, I don't know. My character sort of, the way that it evolved, my character sort of comes out at the end. Yeah. And so I was like, you know, leather, leather hat and, and, Daisy Dukes and you know full, uh, full shirt sun. open up yeah totally total some <laughs> fantasy but I mean I had such a great time and so of course I'd meet people in the lobby afterwards for Broadway Cares and all that kind of stuff and we just uh, it was it was the most amazing time and uh, it couldn't have come at a better time too because when I auditioned in LA it was at the very beginning of when every theater that I used to work at closed and I thought how am I going to work because this is where I made all my money, and that's where I was able to get my exposure and all that kind of stuff. And, but anyway, I, I digress. Um, but no, I have a new knee, and I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm working on it, and um, uh, my physical therapist says I'm doing amazing work, and, and it's all because I'm trying to get myself ready for a show that's being written right now, and I've been asked to be a part of it. And oh. So hopefully that'll be, but I ha- it's very physical, so I have to really get my legs back into shape. So oh, that's in- I'm that's working incredible. on it. Uh, well, so, yeah. I'm- Look, knee replacements are no joke. So, no. Uh, all of my sympathies and empathies, but also I'm so glad that that things are going well. Oh, it's great! Yeah, I, I tell you, I would always make it as a joke. I lean against a pole or something like that, and I'd say to the ladies when they come up to me, I said, "I don't know how you do it, you know, wearing these heels." And they'd all look at me and they'd show me their shoes and they'd be like, "We don't," you know. They'd, they're all wearing flats, you know, that kind of thing, and I'm like, "Oh my god," you know. But it, it really, you can't beat it. I auditioned in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I was the last person to audition in, 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 for that day, for whatever reason. Really? And I remember walking in there, you know, walking in there being all, you know, and there are all these guys behind the, the table and they were like, hi. And I went, hi. I said it right back thinking, oh, okay, I can be myself. They were like, ugh. And I thought, I wonder what, okay, whatever. So I did the scene work and everything was fine. I got the feedback. He was too friendly at the audition. Oh, stop so thought, it. Thought, what the hell? So then, of Homophobia. course, I tell my yeah, exactly. So then I tell my friend Eugene, who's in the Broadway production, and he says, "No, no, no, no. Put it on tape. Give it to me, and I'm going to hand it to Jerry Mitchell myself." And I was like, "Okay." Wow. So I did. He gave me some adjustments to to fix whatever I did. He gave it to Jerry, and Jerry said, "I want to see this guy." So I, because Jerry wasn't in that in L.A. when sure. I auditioned in L.A., so I go to. Probably the most expensive four minutes of my life was $3,000. I flew to New York. I had a hotel for like two nights or whatever. Yeah. So I go in and then there's like 30 people behind the table. And I remember going in there and I did it how I did it in Los Angeles, which I was told, hey, the guy on Broadway doesn't really sing. Just yell it out. Mm. And I was like, okay. So I yelled it out. And then Jerry's looking at my resume and he's like, you have all these singing roles on your resume. Could I hear it sung since... There's notes for the thing. And I was like, yeah, I'll sing it for you. So I sing it for him, high B or whatever it was. And then he threw his hands up in the air. And, and then he said that was it. And I was like, okay. Stephen Oremus, who I had done uh, a, a very small production at a, a Good Speed Opera uh, House before he became huge. Yeah, the Broadway arranger. Yeah, he comes over and he gives me a hug. And he says, it's so great to see you. And I said, it's great to see you too. And I walked out and I thought, okay, that was, that was so quick. Around the corner comes Cindy Lauper, and she goes, and she's with her little entourage, and she's walking in the room. She's this little tiny thing, and she goes, oh, are you here for Dawn? Which is the name of the character. And I said, oh, I just sang. And she went, God damn it. I wanted to, I wanted to hear you sing. And I said, well, I can go back in there and sing if you want. She said, no, no, no. But you look perfect for the part. And she walked and left me. And, and it was the last day of auditions, and it was me and drag queens in the hallway. And we were like... Oh my God, that was insane. So I leave, I go to the deli on the corner and I'm getting my food and my phone rings and it's my agent. I got the job. Oh my I, gosh. Hasn't, hadn't even been a half an hour. I am And I was dying. like, I was stunned. I was absolutely stunned. And I I, 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 I remember I had my, I, I'm getting teary. I'm thinking about it. I got my food and I just sat in the corner. And I cried Aww. for like 15 minutes. And I thought, this is this is my way of getting out of here. I mean, getting out of Los Angeles at the time, because mm-hmm. I honestly didn't know what I was going to do. Right. And it wasn't to play Dawn. It was to play 
his name is Mutz in the script, uh, ensemble member, but he understudies Don, George, the, the, like the, the foreman or whatever, uh-huh. and then Mr. Price, who makes uh, an appearance at the beginning of the show. Right. So I was like four roles to learn, and uh, I said, yeah, absolutely, I'll do it. And I just remember going to New York, and then in the 42nd Street Studios on the very first day, and just seeing Harvey and Cindy, and, and then Cindy comes up to me, and I'm standing next to the guy who's playing Dawn. Mm-hmm. And she and she grabs my hand. She says, oh, I'm so happy you're playing Dawn. And I went. <laughs> and I pointed, oh, shoot. I pointed to the guy next to me. And she didn't care. She was just like on her own little, She's her on own her own little, little journey. She's on her little planet. I love but it. But it was so great. No, Cindy's fantastic. I got to tell you. She doesn't remember anybody's name. She calls you whatever she wants to call you. And you just go for it. <laughs> you're like, now, yes. Yes, Anne. Yes. Well, and. And for whatever reason, someone had to ask her. They said, why do you call him that? Referring to me. She used to call me Hagrid. <laughs> and she says, why do you call him Hagrid? And she says, well, he's big and hairy and everybody loves him. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'll take it. Uh, my name is Hagrid. I will go to the courthouse. I will put in a, a legally change of name for you, Cindy. I will change it. I feel, like, she's great. I feel like she's so lovable. Anybody would do anything for Cindy Lauper. Oh, she was amazing. She would be in the room in rehearsal and she'd talk like this. And she was, and then she says, but I want it to sound like this. And then she'd sing. And you're like, holy cow. Where did that come from? Oh, wow. Just effortless and beautiful. And, oh, uh, just uh, unbelievable. It was amazing. And she, once in a while, she'd say she'd give an outburst of something, and then they would rush her out of the room because they're like, "You can't see that scene in front of all these people." But I mean, it would just be whatever, you know. Oh, that kind but, of uh, candor is amazing. Oh, it was great. It was great. But no, it was wonderful. Okay, so you you were with the First National for how long? I am the only person in the company who started it and finished it. Yes. I, I don't believe in running away unless there's another job, of course. Sure. But the idea was is that I was in a very wonderful spot and I did not have any desire to leave. A lot of people left the show because they said I've had enough. Sure. I never had enough. In all honesty, it saved my life. Uh, my, my dad died right before the tour happened and then my mom died at the end of the tour. Oh my gosh, so it was I'm very, so sorry. So difficult to deal with. And I just remember, you know, I kept my sure. head down to the ground because I was so distraught over the whole thing. And, and of course... My, uh, we have the funeral. My beautiful family from Kinky Boots—they all sent a beautiful flower arrangement and stuff like that. I mean, y- you become family. Yeah. The show Kinky Boots is actually based on a true story, right? Absolutely. It's a shoe factory in outside of London, and like many small businesses, it was really feeling the strain of large retailers exporting mm-hmm. goods where the expenses are less. Right. Um, and so here they were at this factory that has a long tradition of making these really high quality shoes and there is no demand for it. So what were Not they going anymore. to do? What were they? Exactly. Like change or die sort of thing. Exactly. And so what they ended up figuring out is that they had to come up with a niche market, as they called it. Mm-hmm. And so other factories that were that they had known of decided to do uh, all range, uh, you know, hiking boots. Another one decided to go into sandals and, and things like that. So they were trying to figure out what kind of niche market. Now, in the real, real story... Not because, I mean, we have to write the lovely... Yeah, we we got to make art, sure. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but in the original concept, the original concept was uh, fetish wear. It was like dominatrix It was and... full kinky. More kinky yes. than boots, maybe. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so it was that kind of uh, a market. It wasn't for drag queens, per se, but it was for the the uh, the kinky market. Of maybe BDSM. And... Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. So the original concept, this true story, was originally turned into a film... Right mm-hmm. into a British film. Um, star- she would tell Edifor played Lola. Yeah, from Twelve Years a Slave. Yes, yes. And yes. and it was a it was a big hit. I actually remember a friend of mine. This was back when I was living in Utah. A friend of mine told me, you know what? I think this new movie that came out, Kinky Boots, would make a fantastic musical. And I was like, oh, really? And totally like brushed it off. And then apparently other people thought so too. And boy, was my friend Ken Plain right. Kinky Boots then gets picked up and optioned into a musical. 
they get Cindy Lauper to write the score in her first musical theater score. Cindy Lauper, mm-hmm. of course, was a legend, icon, star, true colors. I mean, she really, be- I think at that point, become an LGBTQ uh, Huge advocate, advocate yes. and icon. Uh, so it only made sense. And and also, she she's someone who approached pop music, in my opinion, in a very theatrical, risky way. You know, kind of like maybe Freddie Mercury, somebody sure. who's always pushing her vocal limits to to extremes. But then there's there's also this accessibility to her melodies and her message. She's a really, really special artist. And, and so I'm glad that that was then translated into musical theater because it's a perfect fit. Oh, I mean, we were in Vegas when we opened the show. And I remember being in the uh, in the house while they were having sound check. And she was furious. She hated the sound. And oh, it was like, wow. I, I thought it sounded amazing. But she has, she knows. Yeah. The levels were just not right. There was something that was a little off. And yeah, something had to be changed in terms of like less uh, brass and more string. Or I, I don't sure, remember sure. exactly. But I, I, she knew exactly what needed to be done. And thank goodness for Stephen Oremus because he was able to make the arrangements and, and that kind of thing. And she'd also been on Broadway. She'd done um, uh, Three, Three Penny, Penny Opera. Opera. Absolutely. Yeah. So when she had her, she just had her, you know, feet, you know, dipped in the, the Broadway pool kind of thing. But now she, you know, she she won the Tony. She she's gotten, you know, she has the now. she has the cred now. Yeah, absolutely. So often when pop music finds its way into musicals, it still sounds like, you know, an orchestra trying to play pop music. And kind of, yeah. you know what I mean? And and with Kinky Boots, I really feel I hear what you're saying. I hear her creating like a live concert experience. It's so Cindy Lauper, the way that it, it all comes out. Uh, the sex is in the heel. Oh uh, my I gosh. mean, it's just all these numbers. They're yeah. so brilliant and fantastic. And kind of like what Jerry used to say about Hairspray being like 16 production numbers because the, they are. All of our numbers were production numbers. Let's talk about the man who gave birth to some of these amazing ideas, Mr. Jerry Mitchell, who Mm. I really respect because, number one, he knows how to make his actors look good. Mm -hmm. Jerry Mitchell comes from more of an old school, he creates steps. I I really appreciate that about him. He's he's like, without comparing, because there's no comparison, he's like a... He's like a Tommy Toon. No, he was one hundred percent a Tommy Toon protege. Yeah, very, very tall and long and and expressive in everything that he does. And he was so um, well. First day of rehearsal, he comes right up to me and he says, "I didn't know you. A lot of people stood uh, went to bat for you. Oh. So don't fu- don't fuck this up." Oh. <laughs> and I was like, "You know, thank you, I mean, Mr. He, Mitchell." <laughs> he, he gave me a little wink after that, but I don't. I I call him Captain. I've always called him Captain, and every time I even send him just a personal uh, text, I always call him my captain. Because Aww. really, I mean, it was such a, a an honor and a privilege to be in the same room with him that I could not imagine not wanting to be at my best every single day. That's amazing. And he knows how to create a really uplifting experience for an audience. Absolutely. You know, uh, he was the choreographer for Hairspray, and I think that was really what catapulted him. He directed and choreographed Legally Blonde, which I believe yeah. is one of the best-paced musicals I've ever had the privilege mm-hmm. of seeing. And so then when he came aboard uh, Kinky Boots, he came on as a director-choreographer along with Cindy. And then Harvey Firestein, also from Hairspray, coming right. on to write the book or write the script based on this movie. And talk to me a little bit about Harvey. Oh, my gosh. When I went to London, he sees me in the, in the lobby and he goes, oh, my God, what are you doing here? You this know, is, he, was, he was so, I was like. Sam, that is a really good Harvey. I oh, I am oh, really I, impressed. Oh, stop that. No, 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 I'm no. serious. I, I, I can't do, I can't do <laughs> him justice. He was so sweet. I remember he would, put, he would tweet things like, Put your put those guns away, Sam. We're not in Texas or something like that. Because I was always, I was always, whenever I'd go on for dawn or whatever, I'd be like, okay, we're going to teach these people what's going on here, you know. And um, you know, and also during the time of the the pee thing and down in North Carolina about you know, oh who, sure, who gets to use bathroom? what bathroom? I mean, and that's when Cindy and Harvey and Jerry they all came up with just pee, 
where you want to pee. And they did this whole, you know, like, um, uh, are you serious? How oh, have yeah. I not seen this? Um, look it up. I, oh my it's, gosh. It's like a, what do you call it? Like an after school special or whatever. Sure. It's like the a, more, you know, yes, exactly. It's one of those things. But yeah, they, and then, and then, and it takes place in some men's bathroom, but it's a urinal, you know, kind of, uh, place. And everybody's poking their heads out and it's, and it's all men and women. And it's like, Oh, please. We're going to really argue over what bathroom we're going to use. Just pee. Just you know? pee. And that's an exciting. Where you want to pee. Wanna pee. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's I mean, so it's, great. It's, it's also keeping up with the times. It's mm-hmm. also keeping up with, with, with what's important and what's going on right now. And That's wonderful. Harvey, yeah. Harvey ha- is no stranger to writing musicals for drag queens. He, of course wrote the book to La Cage au Fol in the early 80s. And um, then after he had this kind of legendary flop called Legs Diamond in the late yes. 80s, right. uh, which was a Peter Allen musical. Peter mm-hmm. Allen, if you know, Boy from Oz. And after that, he takes this really long break of not writing any like major musical theater pieces until after he plays Edna Turnblad in Hairspray. And after that, I don't know what happened, but he starts writing musicals again. And he wrote the book for Catered Affair, which is a beautiful little show. He wrote the book for Newsies and then wrote the book for Kinky Boots. And I really, I think Harvey is one of the great American playwrights. He really, truly is. He knows how to write and um, go to the heart of of, of things. And And speaking of Pride Month, he Mm -hmm. is one of the first voices in... I would say any storytelling art form, not just theater, that really sought to create stories featuring LGBTQ characters that didn't end in some tragic suicide. You know, the purpose of the story was not victimhood, but celebration and inclusion and empowerment. And we owe a big debt of gratitude to him for it. Absolutely. I mean, from Torch Song Trilogy, and then he go, and then he was in Mrs. Doubtfire, and mm-hmm. I mean, he's been around. Seems, um, seems like a, there's a generous spirit there. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> absolutely. That's awesome. Now, the Broadway production opens in April, or yeah, in April of 2013, and when it arrives on the scene, it is following the critical adoration of Matilda, the musical. Yes, now, yes. Matilda came to Broadway after winning like the most Olivier awards that had ever been won by a show in London. So it comes across the pond. And if you want to listen to our amazing episode about Matilda, go back and listen to it because it is a brilliant genius little Rubik's cube of a show. That being said, so then kinky boots opens after all of that fanfare and honestly gets positive reviews, but not nearly what Matilda gets. And then a month passes by, and Kinky Boots' receipts, like, check the receipts, explode. People are now just rushing to the theater. Word of mouth has spread. And I think, uh, you know, Matilda can be kind of a darker musical, and Kinky Boots is exactly the opposite. Bright, colorful, wants you to, you know, leave the theater on cloud nine. And that really shifts just this energy dynamic between the two shows so that when the Tony Awards come around, Kinky Boots is actually the show that wins Best Musical, to everyone's surprise. I, I understand because I have a friend, uh, Leslie Margarita, who uh, she was in Matilda, so I went to go see it. And subsequently, after Kinky Boots, I ended up playing Mrs. Trunchbull. Uh, uh, <laughs> Did you? Yeah, in, in uh, Massachusetts, in a regional theater. Oh, my god! That's such a fun role. Oh, my God. It's a it's a brilliant show that I have yeah. grown to like more and more. Me too. Me too. And it really was a shock because I, everyone kept saying Matilda was going to win. Matilda mm-hmm. was going to win. I mean, even Cindy was just, she was just floored and, yeah. and was so excited. It really does mean a lot to people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the impact that it made, that it has made on people. I remember um, we were in Detroit, and because of True Colors, Cindy's, um, it's an organization basically that, that helps uh, gay and lesbian uh, trans uh, youth. 40% of all homeless kids are of the LGBTQ community, and uh, mainly because they're kicked out of their homes, they're, they're ostracized, they're, you know, that kind of thing. 
So I remember they would have these little programs for, for the True Colors people in different cities where they would go to the theater in the morning and they would have a whole day of like uh, uh, costume design, set design, uh, how to work the box office, wow. you know, the backstage work. You know, they would learn about that. That would be the afternoon. And then they would have a meal. Then they'd watch the show. Hmm. And then they'd get to meet us afterwards. And then we would talk to them. Now, I remember coming into the room. It was in Detroit. It was snow and everything really cold. And these kids were standing there. And I walked in and this one kid kind of gave me this snooty little look or whatever. And then we had to introduce ourselves. And so blah, blah, blah. And it gets to me and it's like, hi, I'm Sam Zeller and, 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 I'm, and I'm a gay man. And then the look on this kid's face and then got emotional. And then the person, the monitor said, is everything okay? And the kid said, I, I just understood the meaning of the show. And we're like, what? <laughs> I'm getting emotional though. He goes, I hated him. And he was pointed at me. That laugh when he was making fun of, of Lola was the laugh I hear every single day of my life. Ugh. And I hated, I hated you for that. But you just told me who you were. And I had no business judging you without knowing who you were. It's what we say at the end of the show. You know, the, the, the six uh, steps. The six steps. I, I should not have judged you. And, and for that, I'm, I'm sorry. And I, I didn't know what to say. I said... You're 15 years old, and you know who you are. I said, I bow to you for, for knowing that, because I didn't know who I was at 15 years old. And here you are being so brave and saying, this is who I am. So I, I thank you for the apology. I accept your apology. <laughs> we, we hugged. But, you know, but That's now so that you've done that, boom, you, you go forward. We had a, uh, we were in um, somewhere in like Edmonton, Canada. This man comes up to me in the lobby. He said, boy, two hours ago, I'd have called you a faggot. And I was like. I think you uh, just did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he said, my daughter, she wanted to come see this show. I don't know why. I don't know why. They drove like 16 hours. They were like on like the edge of, of um, you know, where Alaska is. Uh, but he goes, my my kid wanted to see this show. He goes, I love this fucking show. You know, and just he's just going on and on. And he goes, now I understand my daughter even a little bit better. And I was like, wow. You know, and we I said we have to all take a picture, and because then I sent it to Broadway Cares because we were collecting money. And I said, this is what this show has done. It has brought people to understanding how important, not just how how important theater is. But how, how important humanity is and what we can do to make this world a better place. Because we were in Des Moines, Iowa once, uh, and during the finale, in the middle of the finale, the whole audience stood up. Uh, and we were, we were choked up because absolutely. that's never happened. And we were like, we're not done yet. you know. <laughs> and we're still going up. But we were so choked up by all of the adoration and the, the positivity that, they, that the show uh, gave. So, I mean, it was pretty amazing. Well, you know, really, really amazing. theater changes lives. I think, you know, it, it, it's absolutely true. And I think musical theater has the capability of reaching us in an even deeper place because it's not just about the message. It's about the way the music makes us feel. It's the way that the dancing and exuberance coming from the performers can infuse an audience. It, it isn't just about sitting back and letting the this message enter your ears. It's about leaning forward and letting this entire experience seep deep into yourself. Oh, and yeah. and I think Kinky Boots is one of those shows that has the power to do that. Because I, I remember feeling, I came and saw you guys at the Pantages when you were in L.A. And I just felt joyful. You can't put a price on that, truly. No. I mean, they did because it was an expensive ticket. But... <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, well, that's it. But yeah, yeah. but um, but you really can't put a price on that. Now, let's actually go through the show and talk a little bit more about some of these great moments of the story and uh, the work that was created by these great creators and and performers. Well, what's what's gorgeous about the opening number is that it's the first forty minutes of the movie. Oh, fair. If, if okay. You, if you watch the movie, the first forty minutes of the movie is the opening number. It's 
it's everything encompassed. It is true. It has so much story right here at the top, even to the point of seeing you know flashbacks to these uh to these two lead characters childhoods it starts with mr price and his son charlie who's a little boy and so this mr price is teaching his son about dependability right about the tradition that he is passing on to him in terms of this shoe factory charlie grows up of course but doesn't want to take on the shoe factory because he's a son <laughs> right <laughs> and that's how that's how we work um he has a long-term girlfriend named Nicola, and they are, they are going to move from this small town, Northampton, to London to begin a real estate job. As soon as they do, as soon as they move to London, he receives a phone call to let him know that his father has passed and that he needs to come back and decide what's going to happen with the factory. That was never in his future. Not his plan. Yeah. Comes back to Northampton, uh, realizes that the factory is in deep trouble, and that his father had not, never told him that. They have kind of an abundance of product and nowhere to sell it. And so he goes to a pub with his kind of a, a childhood friend who, and I can't remember his name. Um, uh, uh, Harry. Harry. Okay, thank you. Uh, his family's in charge of selling distributing shoes. Distributing or selling. Yeah, yes. distributing. And so they have this moment of, can you buy my overstock and sell it at a cheap price. And basically the friend says, I'll help you out this time, but you got to figure out something else to do because the writing's on the wall. This factory isn't going to survive. And what's this number called? It's um, it's uh, the only time we really hear from L- Harry the entire yeah, show. It is the only time that you can see it. Uh, Take what you got. Take what you got. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. This is absolutely laying the groundwork of this blue-collar reality so that then when we reach Land of Lola, which is the entrance of the drag queen who Charlie thinks he's saving from uh, from some hooligans. Were you, I assume you were a hooligan. Uh, yes, I was a hooligan, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Lola being actually a dude named Simon who was trained as a boxer from his father when he was uh when he was growing up doesn't need any protection at all and uh takes off his boot gives it a gives it a swing actually knocks Charlie out they take Charlie back to the club so that he can kind of come too but th- in the meantime we get to meet this amazing vibrant character and all of her drag queen kind of chorus girls mm-hmm. uh called Leave the angels act- Leave your expectations at the door. Oh my gosh. Now, now this song is honestly when I really start respecting what Cindy Lauper has brought to the table because not only do we get her ear for pop music, but she also is able to give us some really interesting lyrics. Yeah. This one is one of my favorites. I've got a lacy silken feel with arms as hard as steel. I am freedom. I'm constriction, a potpourri of contradiction. Fiction. What? That's so great. That's it's awesome. Great. It's it's awesome. You hear it and you see it and it's 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 fantastic. It really is. Now Lola was played originally by Billy Porter, who has yes. now become just a legend mm-hmm. uh, because of Pose and a lot of other more high-profile things. But he won the Tony Award for playing Lola and is uh, definitely a force of nature. But I I can't help but feel like anybody who plays Lola is going to be a bit of a force of nature. Oh yeah. Well, when we were in um, uh, was it Philadelphia? I think it was Philadelphia. We got Billy Porter to come join us on the tour because it's his hometown. Oh my gosh! No way! So Talk to me about that. To, oh, so fantastic! What was great is that he does that number in the nursing home at the end, where his yes, father. Yes, yes, yes. You know, and um, and he's talking as if he's talking to the congregation at the nursing home. Mm-hmm. He said, "Oh, I just grew up just down the road from here." Oh, tears. and the applause would one time. I mean, we 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 recorded it each time. One time, it was two minutes and 21 seconds of <gasps> a nonstop applause for him. <sighs> and he said, I just grew up down the, uh, down the road. Wow. Um, it was really great. And um, How special. But now, yeah, yeah. Now, I feel pretty confident about my skills as an audience member. I think I'm a great listener. I follow <laughs> narrative well. However, as I reread the script in preparation for this episode, I don't think I remembered 
that Lola is a straight man. Yeah. I, I did mean, I did not know. I don't remember that at all. I thought he was a gay dude. Yeah. Well, it's not even it's not written in the script per se, but there is sort of a love affair that's somewhat uh, that's hinted at him. Yeah, with him and I want to say Pat. Is it Pat? Yeah. I think it's Pat. One of the um you know, and a, a, a Pat is a woman. You know, Pat can be a... a That's true. Double but in this name. case, Pat but, is but a woman. in this case, it is a woman. And uh, <laughs> yeah, because at one point, Charlie says, Pat's not even taking my calls because... Uh, uh, they've gone off together. realize that they've gone off and done... Yeah. And honestly, I, I'm going to be totally vulnerable here and say that when I, I was looking through the script and the in the breakdown, it says that he's a heterosexual male that, that dresses in oh. drag. Okay. And and when I read that, I went, I got a little prickly and was like, ugh, of course it can't be a gay man because that would be just way too much, right? right. It's right, only right, right. okay that he dresses up in drag if he's a straight male. And that's like the, the what we were able to bring to the gen pop. But then I took a step back and was like, calm your jets, Parsons. And I realized <laughs> that that was actually my own bias right mm-hmm. in terms of gender expression and so i actually wanted to take a moment here to review a couple of glossary terms since it okay. is pride month this is Please. from npr and i found it very helpful uh that regardless of who you are it, it gave me a great point of reference so sex the term sex usually just refers to external anatomy Right. When we're born as humans, where we either have certain genitalia, certain uh, levels of hormones or even certain chromosomes, the three categories that are usually found within sex are male, female or intersex. Intersex being actually more common than we think. It's about one in fifteen hundred is born with some sort of combination of the two. Now. Sex is completely different from gender. Gender is often defined as a social construct of norms, behaviors, and roles that varies between societies over time. So gender meaning uh, usually male, female, or non-binary. And that is usually defined by the, the culture's acceptance of specific details that reveal that to be. And they change where a woman didn't wear pants for a very long time. They were only wearing, uh, you know, dresses. So, like, that would be a construct of gender. Now, gender identity within that is how we feel about ourselves. Yeah? Gender identity, okay. So that is different from sex. That is different from gender, which is determined by culture. Gender identity is based on how you feel inside. Wow. So it's not outwardly visible to anybody. We can't, quote unquote, tell how anybody identifies because that is all going on 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 the inside. And then gender expression is how we choose to express that gender identity. It gets really interesting, but very complex. So so in Kinky Boots... Kinky Boots isn't really about sex or sexuality or even sexual orientation. It is about gender expression. Regardless of how you feel inside, the way you choose to express it is nobody's business. Well, Cindy did it best because she titled the song, The Sex is in the Heel. Right. Exactly. 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 The way that Lola is expressing her, his, whatever pronoun uh, is most appropriate, masculinity, because Lola identifies as a man. The way that Lola is expressing that gender is by dressing in drag. And throughout the show, we realize that is when she is the most... See, and I'm, I'm actually not certain what pronoun to use, but that is... So I'll just use the name. That is how Lola feels most empowered, is when Lola is in drag. That's why when she shows up to a prize fight wearing a white cocktail dress, her right, father, exactly. his father disowns him. Basically. Completely disowns, right. Yeah. Um, because the father was not comfortable with that gender expression. And I really think that one of the, the things that I've walked away from studying the show 
anew is this acceptance of gender expression no matter how uncomfortable it makes you feel because ultimately it's based on the other person's identity not your comfortability right right absolutely and Kinky Boots did that. We got to see all these kids in these different cities from the True Colors organizations and, and things like that. And, and, of course, you have an older generation coming to see a show about drag queens, and they, they don't know what to do, but they, they even, they're in, uh, like uncomfortable even. But they were the ones that were standing up and dancing at the end of the show because exactly. they Exactly, and that's it. the power of it. That's the yes. power. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's no, I, I, I went on so many tangents. I'm so sorry. No, no I mean, this, so is why, this is why it's a podcast. Tangents <laughs> are welcome. Now, when Charlie finally comes to at this club, Lola confides in him and says, basically, the shoes that I have to wear, these these boots that I, that I wear are really poorly made because I'm a big old guy and right. these are ma- made for women. And so when Charlie goes back to the factory to figure out how to save it, he realizes, oh, here is my niche market, right? We can make a really high quality boot for any man, any range of man who wants to wear any range of shoe. (laughs) And he sings this amazing song that I believe wasn't in the original tryout. It got written for Broadway called Step One. Ah, yes. A, a really, really great song that I can't picture the show without. But it is definitely his moment to finally start stepping into the light and his passion to, to save this place. Yeah. He asks Lola to come on as a designer. Yeah, his prototype was not very good. I mean, it looked it looked like a rain boot or something. And, <laughs> and, and, and it goes, what is this? Because Lola said, make it red. And, oh, and, and it's burgundy, and, right? Burgundy, yes. God forbid. You know, he goes, burgundy, <laughs> burgundy. You know, and but it's a, it's a shade of red, but no. No, no, no. And that's yeah. when she teaches everybody that sex is in the heel. It's sex red. It's these boots with a stiletto heel. The power, the sex is in this heel. And it's a, an amazing song that sounds as good as any pop record. Mm-hmm. And I so much fun to do that number too. It's I, so I much bet. fun. It's, yeah. it, it really is kind of the Harold Hill moment when she wins over everybody. Right by the yeah. end of the number, everyone's like, "All right, we'll follow you to the moon." Except for Don. Don. Don is a little. Uh, he's uh, what do you call it? Um, Don being kind of the maybe stereotypical hetero blue collar worker homophobe. Someone who I have learned to really feel sorry for. The poor straights in the world. You don't realize how many hangups you have. <laughs> yeah, and it really, and it's also unnecessary because really, it is unnecessary. That's a better word for it. You're right. And when they, and when they do have their confrontation and their fight, and then they talk in the in the bar afterwards, and they do shots together, things like that. There is a moment of humanity for him. I mean, oh, he has sure. to he has to realize that you know. He's, he's a blowhard for no reason. He yeah. does it because he's insecure. Yeah. He does it because he's, you know. You're wasting all this energy, Don. Yeah, totally. You totally don't need true. to. One of the other workers in the factory is a girl by the name of, of Lauren. And yes. Lauren <laughs> develops a crush on Charlie, even though he is attached to Nicola. She was originally played by Annalie Ashford. And I would say, let's be honest, Lauren is kind of the best part of the show. She's a lot of fun. She's a lot of fun. She gets to be quirky and silly, and but she also has, has the brains and, yeah. and all, all that too. And it's it's great because that her number... History of Wrong Guys is probably the most Cindy Lauper song. Like, it, Lauren, I'm just realizing, Lauren is who Cindy Lauper would play 20 years ago. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's why, I mean, she's blonde, uh, it's so cute the way they have her in her um, the the way they have her dressed because she doesn't wear boots at the end. She's got cute little sexy boots, but they're not kinky boots. They're a little oh, bit cute. different. Yeah, I don't think I remember um, that. Yeah, she wears like little pink boots, not 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 knee high, not the full knee high ones, not not the full knee high ones. But um, no, it's a great character, and everyone that I got to work with who played that role was hysterical, and they all bring a different quirk to it that really makes it special you know that's so fun um, and they all get to have a little uh necklace that says lauren Aww, you know so that's, a, that's very cute 
I remember hearing that Jerry Mitchell said that he knew he could trust Annalie Ashford with anything after Legally Blonde because oh. she had to constantly act with the dog and make it work. Oh, sure. He's like, if if she can make that funny, she can make anything funny. I, I mean, she's really she's really special, and I think oh, yeah. I think we will have an entire generation of young girls who will make really weird choices and weird noises because of her. <laughs> <laughs> And I agree. I agree. Oh, God, I just listened to her um, doing uh, Sending the Park with George. Yeah, with, yeah. Uh, with with, uh, with Jill Hall. Yeah. Oh, and, and, and she's got a lovely voice. I mean, really, a very pretty voice, too. Yeah. Not just the quirky stuff that we like her for, but she also has something really quite beautiful. That's awesome. Beautiful, beautiful pipes. She's a special talent, for sure. Yes, very much so. After History of Wrong Guys, Lola comes to work, right, as the new designer, and Lola has decided to dress as a as a man to be more serious about his position. He wanted to dress for his audience. Right. So he wanted to dress like a man. Now, mind you, his version of man was a little bit eccentric too. It was like a silken robe and and that kind of thing. But um but it wasn't the full Lola glamour and when he No, not at all. And when he shows up the spark is gone. He just and doesn't feel like himself. Right. And he gets validated with that by having Dawn laugh at him oh, and, and right. making fun of him. And then, so, of course, he gets upset and he takes off and he runs into the restroom. And tr- and, and Charlie goes in after him, right? And, and they don't even know which restroom because they even, even <laughs> then that was the joke because it's like, where, Wait, where which did one go? did he go into? Well, in the men's room. Oh, okay. Charlie goes in there to, to talk to him and... And this is one of the most unique modern musical theater moments in recent memory, mm-hmm. I think. Be number one because "I'm Not My Father's Son" is it's a beautiful song that is about sometimes how we feel like we don't measure up to our dad's expectations, and and that mm-hmm. certainly is. Um, I, I can't think of another song that really uh, looks at it in in the same sympathetic way. And it's every young man's struggle, too. I think that every man can relate to it, gay or straight. They 100%. want to live up to their father. Yeah. And number two, the way that Jerry Mitchell staged it, nobody moves. Mm-hmm. It is probably the most still musical number I've ever seen in the theater. Yeah. There are a couple of moments where I think he moves over and sits down or whatever. But once he gets to a point, he stays there and, and they... They're concentrating on each other. And then that's why when Charlie chimes in and sings a little snippet of I'm Not My Father's Son, he realizes that they are very similar Hmm. in their quest to find acceptance, to find love, to find success. Whatever it is that they're looking for, they're both living in the shadow of what their father had hoped they would have. And that's why it's so lovely, because by the end of it, they're like, let's make some, let's make some boots. Let's let's get to work. Yeah, let's get to work. And the end of the act is everybody say yeah. Which when you hear the title of that song and guess what it is, it is exactly that. <laughs> everybody say yeah, and everybody says yeah. I think that song was really one of the last ones made because really they said uh, if I remember the story correctly, they were like, oh, we need a number here, you know, big finale, like. Everyone, everyone's got to just say, yeah. And, and she's like, okay. And then, then she came up with everybody say, yeah. I mean, and that's how it ended Careful of the note you give Cindy Lauper. <laughs> but I think that's how it was created. It was just like, they were trying to figure out what could we, uh, it's, it's got to be like, you know, everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. How right? cool. Everybody say, yeah. You know, so, and it became that, that number. In its simplicity though, it really kind of lays the groundwork to, create a really complex staging of it. And this is, I think, one of Jerry Mitchell's highlights in the show is he uses the conveyor belts that the shoes come on as a production number. And I can exactly. I can only imagine that this took a long time to, to rehearse. Very long time to rehearse. And we had, you know, backup in case, you know, and there was a couple of times, very rare did it not work, but there were a couple of times that it, that it uh, something malfunctioned. Sure. I don't think I think we maybe stopped the show once in oh, the four bad. years that we did it. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Now I remember one time that there's um, there's like a brace that they they're hooking they're hooked together down below. The, okay, the, the the two conveyor belts. 
Uh, there's actually four. Oh, there's four so of them. Okay. There's wow. four of them. So, and they're, you know, as they come out, we have to uh, release them so that they can be separated. And then it became the, the maze that it was. Sure. But one night, we co- I could not um, separate them. And when you, when you are on stage and there is no, uh, you know, cut, take two. <laughs> right. You are, I, I, I've become the woman whose child is underneath the car and you become so empowered and strong. I went down there and I pulled as hard as I could and I, I flew off the floor and I came down. The, the sucker did separate, but it was it was bolted in. I don't know what happened, but it was oh so my gosh. stuck. I, I mean, I remember like, you had this like Jean Valjean moment where you just <laughs> yeah. I, think, <laughs> I, I, I don't remember what city we were in, but it was like Providence or something like that. But the crew gave me a, 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 a crew T-shirt because I earned oh, my that's my wings so as a crew sweet. member for, for making the the peace move. Oh, but, that's um, adorable. Yeah. But it's, no, there were like buttons to push and it would make the, the treadmill go slow. And then there would be one button that would make it go faster. And then oh, it would wow. make the button to stop it. And I mean, everything had to be done, but beautifully choreographed. And that's why when Jerry was, you know, trying to figure this out, he had the treadmills on the street in front of his apartment. And he, at night, you know, at three o'clock in the morning, he'd have the place, you know, blocked off. And he was creating, flipping Doing all sorts of things. With what can we do with these things? Yeah. What? How can we make this into a production number? And he did. It's really a great beautiful. way to end the first act. A first act that I feel is really tight. It's as good a first act as I can think of. It's it's really oh. terrific. Yeah. So now, so now, act two starts. Yes. And and of course, things need to fall apart a little bit before they get better. Yep. So, so the the tension between Lola and Don has continued to escalate to the point now where they have decided to have a boxing match. Little does Don know that Lola has been training for this moment her entire life. See, I, oh, I forgive me for all my pronouns are all over the place, people. That's okay. No, no, no. You're, you're, you're making it clear. It's okay. And Don, of course, thinks that this is his fight, no problem. Charlie no knows problem. the truth and is really terrified for Don's overall health. And in the um, in the movie, it was a arm wrestling fight. Oh, was it really? Yeah, it was. Just I a, haven't seen the movie. It was movie. just an arm wrestle. But Jerry happened to be in London, and he went into a pub, and it was called Fisticuffs, and it was a pub, but in the back room was a ring, was an actual oh, boxing ring, and he went. That's what it needs to be. Because what are you mm. going to do on stage? Just an arm wrestling match? No, we need, <laughs> we need to have a boxing fight. And again, that's all choreographed and everything was done, you know, to the to the nth degree. That's why, I mean, Jerry won the Tony for the choreography. And people go, what do you mean? There was a lot of choreography in that show. And it was intricate and it was damn right beautiful. Yeah. Really, really gorgeous. I mean, between between his stuff and Matilda, which is one of the most intricately staged things I've ever seen, that's a pretty great year for innovation. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that well, the opening number in Matilda, where all the parents and the kids. Mm-hmm. My the, mommy says. Oh, my God. That that intricate the choreography really was, was, was really quite good. Absolutely. Props to all um, of them. Yeah, <laughs> seriously, seriously. <laughs> uh, but now they're at the pub, and there's this great, this great number. One of the angels is like the MC, the right, in yeah. this corner. Uh-huh. There are some great lyrics in in that number as well. It looks like, I mean, Lola is just kicking his trash, right? Just taking him to town round after round, and then at the very last moment, she allows him to win. Because she realizes he probably needs it more than her, and she's willing to. Oh my gosh! Because I completely forgot they had this agreement where he has to, uh, Lola has to do whatever Don says, and Don has to do whatever Lola says. So Don's right. idea was the boxing match, right? And Lola basically says, "Me losing the match is going to be a lot easier than you doing what I've asked you to do." And Lola explains her perspective and then gives him her challenge, which is... Accept someone for who they are. Which is beautiful. Uh, let's see, where do we go after that? Then things like start falling apart. Everybody's really stressed out because there's going to be this fashion show coming up, In right? Milan, yep. Is that real, by the way? 
Well, oh, that was what uh, the the whole premise of the of the thing is is that there is this fashion show in Milan that highlights shoes, and okay. and the thing is is that when you have the niche market, it becomes very big as a result of the fashion show. So that's why we wanted to show these boots at the fashion show to to get Price and Son back on the map or put it on the map as a right. as a leader in in shoe production. And to kind of show their new pivot into this niche market, right? And mainstream and being able to save the factory and to be able to keep his friends and, and loved ones, you know, employed and, and that kind of thing. But he gets And all so, that stress yeah, all that stress is wreaking havoc on him both professionally and personally. He and Nicola break up. Mm-hmm. She has kind of found her own life in the city and uh, doesn't understand why he's so attached to the factory. That's how Charlie was gonna be able to be a better man. Not better mm. than, than his father necessarily, but he would make his father proud by being able to save the factory. Yeah. So he was very persnickety, and, he, and the, the, the seams were not lined up, and he would tell Trish, do it again. And she's like, look, I've got, I've got kids who've got to go to school, and i yeah. you know, I got to take care of them, and I can't. And she's like, if you want to do it right, do it yourself. I'm out of here. And then we right. follow her and we all leave and he's left with nothing. And yeah. then, so he sings this beautiful song called Soul of a Man. <laughs> left with nothing but a song. And talk about a song. And, what a song. And Soul of a Man, the soul and the soul of the shoe. It's a sure. double entendre. We love that. Um, right. You know, and then he sings this beautiful thing. And then Lauren comes out, sits with him and says, look. When my dad died, I was handed a shoebox with his stuff in it. And it said, this is what he left. That's what the undertaker said to her. And her response is, no, this is what he left. He left me. Well, that's when they are at the factory and it's probably three o'clock in the morning and it's all lit up and it's like, what's going on? And then here's Don getting all the things ready for him. Everybody's back. Everybody's back. And he's like, because Don saw him for who he, who he was. was, even though yeah. he was being mean and all that kind of stuff, he was doing it because he was he cared enough about us. But Lola, that was the problem: is that Lola had already been out of the picture because they had an argument, and basically Charlie told him to put on some pants and to you know you know what are you doing? Yeah, that's, that is a horrible, horrible, uncomfortable scene when terrible. Charlie and Lola oh, fight. Oh, and, and she looks gorgeous. He just she's says the this... most hurtful things. Yeah, and he just says, yeah. what are you, you're a designer. Be respectful of yourself. And she's like, excuse me? Where is this coming from? Yeah. And she walks out. And she out. leaves. The next time that we see Lola after he leaves the factory is him performing in a retirement center. And which is hilarious because, I mean, there is something funny there because (laughs) he looks like he's performing at the Grammys. Yeah, totally. But he's got somebody in a wheelchair with oxygen, you know, (laughs) and and so it it really is kind of a a funny moment that is also really beautiful. We find out that not only is this a retirement center, it's the retirement center where his dad is. And where he's dying. We see kind of, I don't know, a reconciliation, but maybe a forgiveness from Lola to to his father. It's really, uh, you just think it's, it's some random person, you know, just mm-hmm. like an audience member. But um, she walks by him and she says, it was good to see you, Daddy. And wow. then she touches him and then he acknowledges, which is something that he never got from him before. Exactly. And she tells him she loves him. That's that's a strong that's a strong person. Wow. But he gets his redemption that way and then, you know, but he realizes cuz Charlie makes phone calls and leaves all these messages for him saying I know I was a jerk and da 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 but please, you know whatever. <laughs> right. No response, but I mean Lola is not stupid. Her name is going to be on all these boots and Yeah, and, it's and Lola's she, kinky boots. Yeah. She he needs to seize the opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. So we get it all together, and we, we crank it out, and we make these boots, and then we get to Milan and do the fashion show. <laughs> I mean, he poor Charlie tries to do it alone, and he can't, but then all of a sudden, Lola comes out, and then Don comes out, and he's like, I'm going to show you that a man can wear these boots and be okay with himself, you know? 
and that's how you know it, it erupts into you know joyous at the end because and everybody is in the boots. Everybody's, Everybody's in the boots. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Did you get to keep yours? I gotta ask. Oh, I would kill if I got to keep my boots. <laughs> First of all, okay, the people who did it—I can't remember. To Day. To Day is the name of the company that does it here in New York. The guy measures my foot and he looks up at me because he's on the floor, basically. <laughs> and he says, congratulations, you have the biggest foot of anybody in the show. <laughs> I wear a size 17, okay? You do not. I have Damn. a size 17. Well, size 17 in ladies. Okay, fine, fine, fine. But still, I- I'm a 15 that is a big shoes. boot. Yeah, I have a big boot. Uh, size 15 is my, is my size, but Good I wear a 17 gravy. in women's. But I, I got to, uh, I had two pairs. I had my pair as Mutt, and I had my pair when I got to go on as Don. Well, the Don ones, they got to be, you know, they were much uh, more sturdy and all that because I didn't get to use them as often. But when the show got sold to whoever for national tours and things like that, when I got to go back and do the show twice in the regional productions, I got to wear my boots. Yes, they, 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 they were already they there. They were cozy. They were tra- they travel with the show so and I don't know who else has a size fifteen foot yeah they, they, but God bless the customer that's getting that package and is like well I guess these ones are gonna sit <laughs> sit right. in the back <laughs> or or we'll just you know put some padding just in it we'll stuff put some toilet in paper in the toe <laughs> what I bet and I did ask I said is there any way that I can get my own pair and I think for like a, a cool you know seven grand <gasps> I could probably get my own pair. You know, made for me at wow. T.O. Day. Yeah, wow. and I thought that would the be my treat to alone. myself, but I can't. I can't. I have a, I have a shoebox. I have a shoebox. Oh, that's show. cute. So, I mean, that's nice to have. Yeah, I'm. No, it's great. I'm a bit of a shoe horse. I boy, I do I love shoes. So I would have, <laughs> I would have loved to go backstage and see in all your boots. Oh um, my god, really, really great. And Mr. Price, that was his thing. What's the most beautiful thing in the world? That's the name of the song. The most beautiful thing in the world is a shoe. You know what? And that little. That little uh, beautiful appears throughout the show, you know, yeah. and it's yeah. it's really sweet to always remind us we're always returning to what is beautiful. You know, that's yeah. kind of the question that we're always we're always asking. Um, I I just love that that last number. It's it's you know it's you can't stop the beat because it goes on and on and on and everybody gets a verse. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, it just sends you sends you out on a cloud. It's it's yeah. absolutely joyful. You change the world when you change your mind, and it really is true. It's su- it's such a wonderful um, mantra. You yeah. Know? Um, I gotta say, the word that really stood out for me is redemption. Mm-hmm. The second act is filled with redemption for all of these characters who really need to get serious about either their flaws or their strengths mm-hmm. and then use them to connect with the people that matter most. And you see that throughout throughout the second act. Now, I got to say, after seeing Kinky Boots, I felt like progressive people can never complain about religious folks being too preachy because the second act of Kinky Boots is a sermon <laughs> like you've never heard. <laughs> And it's one of the reasons why you leave the theater feeling great. Yeah. But it is a sermon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so much that during that the ending number, it's spelled out clearly for you. So let's go through the six steps. Oh, my yeah? goodness. Yes. So the six steps to living a full and happy life that yes. the cast of Kinky Boots stands on stage and says to the audience. We got number one. Oh, my God. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah okay, okay. Oh, wait, you're testing me. Uh... uh... Pursue the truth. Pursue the truth. Yes. <laughs> learn something new. Number two, learn something new. Three. Three, accept yourself and you'll, and you'll accept, accept others, others too. too. Then we got four. Let love shine. Five. Let pride be your guide. You're killing it. Six. You change the world when you change your mind. And who says that one? But Don. Mr. Don himself. Yes, and I'm not looking. I'm, I don't have any cheat sheets. No, in front of me. I got the script in front of me. You're you're, <laughs> you're just pulling into that DNA, uh, that right? Kinky Boots DNA that you so got. So much fun. So much fun. So that's how we're leaving you during this Pride Month, and this episode of Kinky Boots is with those six steps. If we can focus on those things, I believe you guys. 
it'll lead to a, a, a happy and full life. Very much so. And, and happy pride, everyone. It, it's, it's wonderful to be alive. Uh, and we have a lot of work to do, but we can do it. And, and um, we can do it together. Absolutely. And I think that that is what pride celebrates more than anything, absolutely. right? Absolutely. Is that we come from a long history of pioneers and people fighting for rights, but ultimately it's about community mm-hmm. and that progress doesn't happen unless we do it together. We only get one life that we know of, so let's enjoy it. And let's let everybody enjoy it, you know? Mm. We can do it Amen. together, absolutely. Sam, thank you so much for doing this with me. I had such a wonderful time. It's so great to see you and, it's and, great to and see talk you. to you. And thank you so much for, for asking me to do this. I have to ask you one question. Please, How please. do I get my own A Musical Theater Podcast t-shirt? <laughs> Because I'm wearing the merch, people. <laughs> I want it. I want it, I want the merchandise, <laughs> the, the the invoice so that I can purchase my own. We please. we have a T Public store. Oh, cool! Um, with lots of designs based on favorite episodes, past and present. We're wonderful. working on right now making some more designs, but this is our this is our logo. That's wonderful. Thank you for plugging our pro hey, our products. I'm, well, I'm proud of you. I, I think it's important that we. This is important. Podcasts are important, and you're bringing something new and innovative and, and stuff to the people, and that's important. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I love having these conversations, and I always feel just like uh, raise you up. I feel, I feel very uplifted after recording these episodes. Well, I, I feel so uplifted now. I think I'm going to go out and sing and do some, some high kicks. Just be nice to your knee. I will. I promise. I promise. <laughs> As always, if you have recommendations for shows you'd like us to cover on A Musical Theater Podcast, you can always email me at amusicalpodcast at gmail.com, just like our friend Audrey did. Please follow us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, at A Musical Podcast. Subscribe to the Patreon! Exclamation point For only $1, you get exclusive content and are able to support the regular show in the process. And uh, just like Sam mentioned, we also have a T Public store, so check that out. Uh, hey Sam, how do we follow you and everything you're up to? Oh my goodness! Well, um, <laughs> I I I have a Facebook page. <laughs> no, um, um, no, you can follow me on um, I guess Instagram. Uh, I, I'm not as much on Twitter, but you can follow me on Twitter. You can follow me on Instagram. I also happen to have a, a website, samzilla.com. It's a beauty. Oh, thank you. And, and, I went on it the other day. Oh, thank you. There's uh, uh, what I call the Zeller Zacon, which is where I do my blog and things like that. I haven't caught up on the blog yet, but I'm going to get to it. Zacon was a word that I found uh, that means awesome, and it means the law, and it means oh. um, uh, uh, like something holy in, in Eastern European different languages. So I, I found Beautiful. that word to be alliterative, obviously, with my last name. So yeah, follow me on that beautiful thank you again so much and uh, everybody out there happy pride happy pride Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.